The three vicars, Reverends Richard Coles, Kate Botley and Giles Fraser, talk about Christmas. This is part of a series where we shall hear one episode for each Sunday in Advent. I think my moment, it was, um, I was called out. The thing about Christmas is that for lots of people it's really, really tough because there are lots of bereavements at Christmas yes. because it's that time of year yes, and also... Yes, yes. But I was called out on Christmas Eve to the General Hospital and one of my parishioners had had a very, very premature baby. <laughs> Go on. I just can't... That's pathetic, isn't it? No, it's not. But, um, went to baptise this tiny, tiny little baby just fighting for life. And she wasn't allowed to touch the baby, but she put her arm into the cot so the baby's foot rested against her vein so the pulse of her life (laughs) anyway baptized the baby and he is now a bonnie bonnie boy and doing very very well but it was just so powerful so moving there is a thing when you do funerals at christmas because there's quite a lot in the run-up and then when people see the sort of general bonhomie as sort of being a sort of insult to their grief so i've known people who've put up all the decorations and then you've gone in and they've torn them down. Oh. So you go in there to talk about, you know, somebody's loved one that's died. I have a specific thing in mind here. But in their grief, they torn all of them. They're only half torn down. It was just awful about that sort of disjunct between yeah. their pain and, 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 you know, what you wanted to say, this is part of... It's not grumpiness to talk about the, the problem with the sort of over-sentimentalised, because actually it's the people who walked in darkness that have seen seen the great great light. And actually there are so many lights going on that you don't see the light. You know, I mean, I know that's a bit of a cliche, but it's to them that the message exists. And yet they pulled down the decorations because they thought the message broadly conceived was a sort of insult to their grief. Have you ever had a punch-up at midnight mass in the back of... I've had lots of drunk people and, not, and you know, sometimes the vicar, to be fair. But um, <laughs> I think it's traditional, isn't it, that, you know, there's, the, the pubs open their doors and the church opens their doors and that's what happens. But what the worst thing is, is that when you're looking after multiple churches, if you're in a rural context, sometimes people forget that you've got another church to go to because they're only in their little village. They invite you back for drinks after the carol service. Then they invite you back for drinks after the next carol service. And then you know you've got a midnight community. And then you overconsume at various other things and then you've got your home visits as well that you've got to do so my top tip for any curates out there is organize taxis for christmas eve because by the time you get to midnight communion you need to keep that sermon short but but it's changed hasn't it because when the pubs stopped their closing time at sort of 11 30 or something they used to that was the point you used to get boozed up people coming out of the pub into the church because oh why don't we go to the church that was what they'd say after the pub but now the licensing laws allow the pubs to stay open later and later you get much less pissed people in church there's one way to combat that though not in finding serve drinks in church that's the way to combat it, have a sherry service. The rows over the mulled wine recipe are just, you know, the stuff of legend, aren't they? You know, and I do this every year, I do this every year, you know, and it, it just, the fights in the kitchen between <laughs> Mother's Union members are just, you know, and the it's number all of times. About generosity, isn't it? Everyone's supposed to be being at their most yeah, generous. Yeah, yeah. So I remember a church warden, it was a nativity service for the toddler group. So the idea of getting the under threes to learn lines was just it's ridiculous. Let's just dress them up, parade them around. All anybody wants is just the photograph and a way in a manger. Let's just do that, then let's all get out of here alive. And I remember pulling up to church and standing in the car park of the church warden coming out and going, I won't go in there if I were you. <laughs> <laughs> and I went, is it that bad? And he went, yeah. 
It's not for the likes of you, Vicky. Let's, let's just take a little walk round, shall we? <laughs> so we did. We went for a little walk round and we went in with about three minutes to spare. And it wasn't the kids. The kids were fine. They didn't mind what they were doing. It's the mums and the dads that were insistent their little sweetheart was going to get their moment I in the in the starlight. I really never had that. Ronnie Archer Morgan is an expert on the Antiques Roadshow. Ronnie explains to Michael Barclay his passion for old artefacts and his love of all sorts of music. Ronnie Archer Morgan had a terrible start in life. His English father died in a car crash before he was born and his mother, who came from Sierra Leone, had severe mental health problems which made her violent and abusive. His childhood was spent in and out of the care system. A school trip to the V&A ignited his lifelong fascination with antiques, but he learned the tricks of the trade, exploring junk shops and markets, while doing a rich variety of other jobs, model maker, DJ Ronnie Scott's, boutique manager and celebrity hairdresser. Eventually, antiques took over from everything else. He became a consultant to Sotheby's, opened a Knightsbridge gallery, and, of course, he's a much-loved expert on the Antiques Roadshow. Ronnie Archer Morgan, I've been reading your memoir, Would It Surprise You to Know? And, and I found it inspiring and very moving, a story of courage and resilience, but also incredibly harrowing. The violence and abuse you suffered at your mother's hands is actually too awful to really detail on the radio. Your mother died some years ago. Looking back, how do you feel about her now and what she did to you? I just, I love her. Um, I feel sad that she had to be witness to her abuse of me. I feel... But at the time, when I was young, I, I, used, to, I used to think, when she was actually punishing me, how much turmoil she must be in inside her head to hurt her own child like that. And I would really feel sorry for her, and I still do. I felt that reading the book that maybe she was punishing the man who was now absent. Yeah, she was, but through me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, in her distorted way. You spent quite a bit of uh, your childhood in care, and I wonder, what are your abiding memories of life in children's homes? They're, they're all good. I, I, don't, I can't think of a bad time. I was never unjustly punished for anything. I never suffered anything remotely resembling abuse from anybody. You know, I mean, I had the odd fight with a, another kid, you know, another boy, but the, the staff were exemplary. So, I mean, it's a rather wonderful example of being the complete reverse of life at home. Exactly, yeah. And then I, I, I work for Action for Children now, and anything they ask me to do, I'm there. I've just been up in North Wales sort of talking to a boy in care there. But yet, um, for a long time, I think like many other children who are the victims of abuse, you felt unable to speak out. Yeah, I didn't want to. I, I, I didn't want to betray my mother to some degree, and, and I wasn't able to really face it as a, you know, a teenager in children's homes. It's, it's not something you can address then unless prompted. I had a wonderful childcare officer. I'd have um, the afternoon off school once a week, and I'd go and see her in Wandsworth Town Hall, and, and, and she helped me a lot to understand that my mother wasn't well. Mm. Actually, one of the things that I found really endearing about you in the book was the way that when you were shown love, 
For example, the Hode family, who used to have you at weekends and in holidays, um, you say you suddenly realised what love was and what a difference it made to be in a loving environment. Yeah, I mean, they really did. Their family environment showed me what love was all about and actually it gave me hope for my future. It was very, very difficult to go from that loving environment back to my home in Shepherd's Bush where I just knew... <laughs> There was no love for me. And it was, that was what was hard. But I knew it was going to be my salvation. I knew the Hodes' approach to family life was going to be my salvation. And that's what I would carry with me in my life, for my life. Mm. You've chosen to hear Handel's love song to a plane tree, uh, Ombra My Foo. What a song. Uh, and I think this does conjure up memories of childhood, doesn't it? Trees represent edifices of love somehow. And there's something very, very beautiful about trees. And I used to go out and draw them to escape my home. Sometimes I'd take a drawing board, pencil, and go and sit and draw the trees in Kensington Gardens, for example. Well, there's something very beautiful about this performance, too, from Andreas Scholl. That's my favourite version. His voice, he's just got the right tone and the right tempo for it. He just knows how to sing the words out. It's always the speed at which things are sung as well that deliver the impact of them, and, and he, just, he just gets it. Andreas Scholl singing Ombra My Fu from Handel Xerxes. He was joined by the Academy for Early Music Berlin. Ronnie Archmorgan, your life didn't actually get much easier as a young adult. You had brushes with criminals and gangs, suffered a lot of racism, not least from the police, and then had a terrible accident in 95 when you were run over by a cab. Broke your neck, both legs, your arm. You were in hospital for months... That must have been another literally life-changing experience. Um, yeah, I, I think it was a godsend. I think, you know, I talk about my life before and after the accident, and I feel, might sound strange, but a sense of privilege that I was allowed to experience such a terrible assault on my body and manage, work through it and survive it. And I think it really taught me who I was and that's what the gift of that accident was for me. I must say reading the book I, I begin to be amazed that there's much of you left here to talk to but I'm very happy there is so let's talk a little bit about a happier occurrence, your first visit to the v &A. 
I just couldn't believe all these beautiful things around me. My eyes didn't know which which article to land on first uh, and, uh, and absorb the beauty of it. And it's something about the excellence of man, the excellence of humanity, was surrounded by so much awfulness. And here we have the repositories in these objects of man's excellence. And I can remember when we hear about all the terrible things that there's something within each of us, some expressive, creative quality that will, will exist long after we've gone if we just know how to make it.
Barry Gentis has produced a series of talks where he imagines himself to be a Bible character. Today, he and his wife Judy are the innkeeper and his wife in Bethlehem at the time of the Roman census. So, Mr. and Mrs. Cohen, thanks for choosing to stay with us. You're, you're in room 11 at the end of the hallway and we serve breakfast between 9 and 11. If you wish to bath, our servants are at your disposal. Oh, oh, there you are. How did everything go? Did you get everything we need? This place is completely full up. Huh. I had to do some hardcore shopping to get everything, but I got it. Oh, good. Eggs. Eggs were really hard to come by because of the cold weather that we're having right now. And I had to do some serious shouting to get the launderers to give us the sheets that we gave them to wash. The way business is going, I wish the Romans would have a census every year. If they did that, we'd be able to sell the inn and retire in a few years with all the money we're making. <laughs> that would be great, if we survived it. Mm. Why do you think the Romans are doing all this nonsense stuff? <laughs> Probably a way to control people, and especially to tax us as much as they can. Maybe they're not so sure of their conquests as they appear to be. Well, we certainly pay hard for the privilege of being a conquered people. I've never worked so hard in all my life. I feel like I don't even have time to eat, much less pay any attention to our children. Hey, hey, Judy, Judy, come over here. Look, look, do you see what I see? That man and his wife on the donkey. Oh, she doesn't look too sure of herself. Oh, oh, my word. I hope I'm not seeing what I'm seeing. And she's on a donkey? What is this man thinking? Oh, she's bouncing all over the place. And she's carrying that baby very low. It won't be very long before it arrives. Oh, the poor dears. I do hope they have a booking somewhere. Oh, sh- sh- they're coming to the door. I'll talk to them. Uh, good evening, sir. You're, you're kind of late in the day to find a room for the night. I hope you booked in advance. Oh, you didn't. It, is your wife okay? She looks uncomfortable. So, oh, she's just ready to give birth? I'm really sorry, sir. I'd love to help you, but we're as full as it gets. Without a booking, there's really nothing we can do. Everyone's packed into the town because of this census. We were already full by late morning. Really, I'm sorry, sir. Oh, no. This is awful. Look at her. If she lasts the night without going into labor, I will be really surprised. Larry, isn't this something we can do? I remember my pregnancies. At least I had a place I knew I was going to have my babies, and she doesn't even have that. And the chances of finding an available room are slim and none. Isn't there something we can do to help them? Well, Judy, we've got the barn. It's not much, but at least it is warm. Oh, 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 that means she, I think she's going into oh, labor. Oh, quick, 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 no time to lose. Quick, take her to the barn. I will bring towels okay, and okay. hot water. I'm on it, I'm there, on it. There, dear. Here, let me help you. Slowly now. Not not too far to go now. Quick. Oh, oh, her waters are broken. Oh. Sir, sir, you have to carry your wife. She cannot possibly walk. Martha, Martha, hot water. Now, Lydia, towels and clean linen. Shh, my dear. Shh, I will help you. That's it. Squeeze my hand. It won't be long. Sir, could you please hold her hand? I'll see how things are going. Martha, thank you for the water. Now, quickly, go for the midwife. Quickly now. Oh, dear. Oh, oh no. Here oh, comes, here comes, here comes, oh, look, the baby. The baby. Oh, Ooh. what a beautiful little boy. Oh, my dear. Lie back now. I will wrap the child for you. There. I have put him in the manger. It's perfect size for a, qu- a crib. Larry, can you find them some food? Maybe a little wine? Oh, but... Judy, there's a whole group of shepherds out here. They say they've come to see the baby. 
Something about angels singing in the sky? What a bunch of crazy people. Come, let's leave them some space. The poor woman must be absolutely exhausted. Look now, there's more folk. It's people with camels dressed like posh people. We can't have any more guests. We have no room in the inn. Um, uh, good evening, sir. I, I'm very sorry, but we're full. Of, what's that? You, you mean you don't need a room? You've come to see the baby. How do you know? Oh, I, I give up. Yeah, yeah, around the back there in the barn. Come on, Judy, let's get out of here. There's just too many people. Time we turned in. Oh, what a day. Oh, but wasn't that amazing? Yeah, I have was. never seen a birthing quite like that before. The babe came out so easily without even a cry. And that poor woman, oh, she was just so peaceful. I've never seen anybody look like that after just giving birth. So serene. She seemed to be not at all surprised when all those people came to see the child. I didn't even want my mother around when Joseph was born. Do you remember? I really do. You didn't. Well, all that took place a couple of months back now. It was very exciting. Joseph and Mary, that was their names, named this special child Jesus, and on the eighth day had him circumcised according to our law. People started to leave once they had registered for the census, and we were able to finally put them in a room in our inn. They stayed with us until the forty days of Mary's purification was over. They left for Jerusalem to present the baby to the priests at the synagogue. We never did see them again after they left, but I never could forget them. It was such an extraordinary time in our lives, and we were never quite the same after that. There was something about that little boy. I couldn't fathom it, but I noticed that we had changed. People were more important now. There was once even when we gave up our own room in order to ensure that we never again turned anybody away from our inn. <laughs>
Ian Rose is in charge of Soundwaves Radio in Sussex. Ian has produced a series of short thoughts, one of which he shares with us now. Have you ever felt that things were getting on top of you? (laughs) Welcome to the club. You're not alone. I used to have a poster on my office wall which showed a baby polar bear, and the words underneath were, Help me to remember, Lord, that nothing's going to happen today that you and me can't handle together. Well, if the baby bear put it that way, the Old Testament writer put it this way. Underneath are the, that's God's, everlasting arms. It means the same thing, though, and it's something that I need to remember. So, on into the day, then. The Reverend Dr. Philip Noble has many interests, which you can see on his website, bubblestrings.com. In this series on heart and soul, he's talking about different aspects of Jesus' ministry, and today he's thinking about miracles. What was the miracle? I wonder if you've ever heard anyone say, well, that was miraculous, or that was a miracle. By that, they really mean that wasn't what I would expect to happen, and you know, the odds against it were maybe a million to one or whatever. It's just a saying, that's out of the ordinary. But in the Bible, the books are full of miracles, particularly the ones about Jesus in the New Testament. You find the miracle after miracle comes. Now, I've said before that in John's Gospel, it says that all the books in the world would not be enough to include all the stories about Jesus. And the question is then, why were the stories, the miracle stories, chosen that were chosen? What did they tell us about Jesus that was special? Because there must have been so many more miracles that Jesus did. And I want to look at miracles in general, but let me just say this about a very clever saying somebody once said to me. They said, people call it a miracle when I do what they want. I call it a miracle when they do what I want. But the miracle I want to look at today is the one of the feeding of the 5,000. You might remember that Jesus had gone off into the desert regions and a crowd of people had followed him to hear his teaching. And it was getting dark and there wasn't any food and Jesus asked the disciples to go and find some food for the people. And Philip had said, well, we haven't enough money to buy it. He said, well, what have you got? And there were five loaves and two fish provided by a young boy. Well, this has been told in many different forms about the generosity of the young boy, the sharing of a little amount. Even people have counted up the number of bags that were left over and tried to work out how many bags that would have been for 5,000 men who were all sitting down. But I once heard the story told by a Jewish person, and they said, you know the miracle? There was this woman present, because it says 5,000 men, there probably are quite a few women and children as well. And this woman, this old woman was present, she said, yes, I was there for a miracle. Do you know what happened? Peter, that fisherman, the one who's the big teacher, he came and he served me food. Peter, he served me a woman food. That was miraculous. She said, Some people thought there was a lot of people fed from a little amount of food. But I'm a mother. I know that you can make a little go a long way. But Peter, come to be a woman. That's a miracle. And so when we look at stories, 
in the Bible and miraculous things about, we will see it from different perspectives. I certainly do have a strong belief that the biblical accounts of the miracles are true, but they can be true in so many ways, and you can learn so many lessons by reading and rereading them and studying them and thinking through who would have been there, what would have happened, and what was the miracle. Christ the babe. 